Kim by Roger Kipling. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Kim by Roger Kipling. Read by Adrian Pretzelis. Chapter 11, Part 1. Give the man who is not made to his trade swords to fling and catch again, coins to ring and snatch again, men to harm and cure again, snakes to charm and lure again. He'll be hurt by his own blade, by his serpents disobeyed, by his clumsiness berayed, by the people mocked to scorn. So tis not with juggler born, pinch of dust or withered flower, chance flung fruit or borrowed staff, serve his needs and sure his power, bind the spell or loose the laugh. But a man who, etc. The Juggler's Song, Opus 15 Followed a sudden natural reaction. Now I am alone, all alone, he thought. In India is no one so alone as I. If I die to-day, who shall bring the news, and to whom? If I live, and God is good, there will be a price upon my head, for I am a son of the charm, I, Kim. A very few white people, but many Asiatics, can throw themselves into amazement, as it were, by repeating their own names over and over again to themselves, letting the mind go free upon speculation as to what is called personal identity. When one grows older, the power usually departs, but while it lasts, it may descend upon a man at any moment. Who is Kim? 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 He squatted in a corner of the clanging waiting-room, wrapped from all other thoughts, his hands folded in lap, and pupils contracted to pinpoints. In a minute, in another half-second, he felt he would arrive at the solution of the tremendous puzzle. But here, as always happens, his mind dropped away from those heights with the rush of a wounded bird, and passing his hand before his eyes, he shook his head. A long-haired Hindu Bairagi, holy man, who had just bought a ticket, halted before him at that moment, and stared intently. "'I also have lost it.' he said sadly. It is one of the gates to the way, but for me it has been shut many years. What is the talk? said Kim, abashed. Thou wast wondering there in thy spirit what manner of thing thy soul might be. The seizure came of a sudden. I know. Who should know but I? Whither ghost thou? Toward Kashi, Benares. There are no gods there. I have proved them. I go to Pairag, Alabad, for the fifth time, seeking the road to enlightenment. What faith art thou? I too am a seeker, said Kim, using one of the lama's pet words. Though—he forgot his northern dress for the moment—though Allah alone knoweth what I seek. The old fellow slipped the Baraji's crutch under his armpit and sat down on a patch of ruddy leopard-skin as Kim rose at the call for the Benares train. "'Go in hope, little brother,' he said. 
It is a long road to the feet of the One, but whither do we all travel? Kim did not feel so lonely after this, and ere he sat out twenty miles in the crowded compartment, was cheering his neighbours with a string of most wonderful yarns about his own and his master's magical gifts. Benares struck him as a particularly filthy city, though it was pleasant to find how his cloth was respected. At least one-third of the population prays eternally to some group or other of the many million deities, and so reveres every sort of holy man. Kim was guided to the temple of the Tirthankars, about a mile outside the city, near Sanath, by a chance-met Punjabi farmer, a Kambot from Jalandoway, who had appealed in vain to every god of his homestead to cure his small son, and was trying Benares as a last resort. "'Thou art from the north?' he asked, shouldering through the press of the narrow, stinking streets, much like his own pet bull at home. "'Ay, I know the Punjab. My mother was a Paharin, but my father came from Amritsra, by Jandaila.' said Kim, oiling his ready tongue for the needs of the road. "'Jandaila! Jalandur? Oho! Then we be neighbours in some sort, as it were.' He nodded tenderly to the wailing child in his arms. "'Whom dost thou serve?' "'A most holy man at the temple of the Tirthankars.' "'They are all most holy and most greedy,' said the Jat, with bitterness. I have walked the pillars and trodden the temples till my feet are flayed, and the child is no whit better, and the mother being sick too. Hush, then, little one. We changed his name when the fever came. We put him in girls' clothes. There was nothing we did not do except—I said to his mother when she bundled me off to Benares, she should have come with me. I said Shaki Swara Sultan would serve us best. We know his generosity, but these down-country gods are strangers." The child turned on the cushion of the huge corded arms, and looked at Kim through heavy eyelids. "'And was it all worthless?' Kim asked, with easy interest. "'Worthless! All worthless!' said the child, lips cracking with fever. "'The gods have given him a good mind, at least,' said the father proudly. "'To think he should have listened so cleverly. Yonder is thy temple. Now I am a poor man. Many priests have dealt with me. But my son is my son, and if a gift to thy master can cure him, I am at my very wit's end.' Kim considered for a while, tingling with pride. Three years ago he would have made a prompt profit on the situation, and gone his way without a thought. But now the very respect the Jat paid him proved that he was a man. Moreover, he had tasted fever once or twice already, and knew enough to recognise starvation when he saw it. "'Call him forth, and I will give him a bond on my best yoke, so that the child is cured.' Kim halted at the carved outer door of the temple. A white-clad Oswal banker from Ajmir, his sins of usury new wiped out, asked him what he did. "'I am Chela to Teshu Lama, and Holy One from Bautiyal, within there.' 
He bade me come. I wait. Tell him. Do not forget the child, cried the importunate Jat over his shoulder, and then he bellowed in Punjabi, O Holy One, O Disciple of the Holy One, O gods above all the worlds, behold affliction sitting at the gate. That cry is so common in Benares that the passers never turned their heads. The Oswal, at peace with mankind, carried the message into the darkness behind him, and the easy, uncounted eastern minutes slid by, for the lama was asleep in his cell, and no priest would wake him. When the click of his rosary again broke the hush of the inner court, where the calm images of the arhats stand, a novice whispered, "'Thy chela is here,' and the old man strode forth, forgetting the end of that prayer. Hardly had the tall figure shown in the doorway than the jat ran before him, and, lifting up the child, cried, "'Look upon this holy one, and if the gods will he lives, he lives!' He fumbled in his waist-belt, and drew out a small silver coin. "'What is now?' the lama's eyes turned to Kim. It was noticeable that he spoke far clearer Urdu than long ago under Zamzamah, but the father would allow no private talk. "'It is no more than a fever,' said Kim. "'The child is not well fed.' "'He sickens at everything, and his mother is not here.' "'If it be permitted, may I cure, holy one?' "'What? Have they made thee a healer? Wait here,' said the lama and he sat down by the jat upon the lowest step of the temple, while Kim, looking out of the corner of his eyes, slowly opened the little beetle-box. He had dreamed dreams at school of returning to the lama as a sahib, of chaffing the old man before he revealed himself. Boys' dreams all. There was more drama in this abstracted, brow-puckered search through the tabloid bottles with a pause here and there for thought, and a muttered invocation between whiles. Quinine he had in tablets, and dark-brown meat lozenges—beef, most probably—that was not his business. The little thing would not eat, but it sucked at a lozenge greedily, and said it liked the salt taste. "'Take then these six. Kim handed them to the man. "'Praise the gods, and boil three in milk.' the other three in water. After he has drunk the milk, give him this. It was the half of a quinine pill. And wrap him warm. Give him the water of the other three, and the other half of this white pill when he wakes. Meantime, here is another brown medicine that he may suck at on the way home. Guards, what wisdom! said the Cambo, snatching. It was as much as Kim could remember of his own treatment in a bout of autumn malaria, if you accept the patter that he had added to impress the lama. "'Now go. Come again in the morning.' "'But the price! The price!' said the jat, and threw back his sturdy shoulders. "'My son is my son. Now that he will be whole again, how shall I go back to his mother and say, I took help by the wayside, and did not even give a bowl of curds in return. They are all alike, these jats, said Kim softly. The jats stood on his dunghill, and the king's elephants went by. Oh, driver, said he, what will you sell those little donkeys for? 
the jat burst into a roar of laughter, stifled with apologies to the lama. "'It is the saying of my own country, the very talk of it. So are we jats all. I will come to-morrow with the child, and the blessing of the gods of the homesteads, who are good little gods, be on you both. Now, son, we grow strong again. Do not spit it out, little princeling. King of my heart, do not spit it out. We shall be strong men, wrestlers and club-wheelers by morning." He moved away, crooning and mumbling. The lama turned to Kim, and all the loving old soul of him looked out through his narrow eyes. "'To heal the sick is to acquire merit. But first one gets knowledge. That was wisely done, O oh friend of all the world.' "'I was made wise by thee, Holy One,' said Kim, forgetting the little play just ended, forgetting St. Xavier's, forgetting his white blood, forgetting even the great game, as he stooped Mohammedan fashion to touch his master's feet in the dust of the Jain temple. "'My teaching I owe to thee. I have eaten thy bread three years. My time is finished. I am loosed from the schools. I come to thee.' Herein is my reward. Enter, enter, and is all well? They passed to the inner court, where the afternoon sun sloped golden across. Stand that I may see so! He peered critically. It is no longer a child, but a man, ripened in wisdom, walking as a physician. I did well, I did well, when I gave thee up to the armed man on that black night. Dost thou remember our first day under Zamzamar? Ay, said Kim, dost thou remember when I leapt off the carriage the first day I went to? The gates of learning, truly, and the day that we ate the cakes together, at the back of the river by Nucklau, aha! Many times hast thou begged for me, but that day I begged for thee. Good reason, quoth Kim. I was then a scholar in the gates of learning, and attired as a sahib. Do not forget, holy one, he went on playfully, I am still a sahib by thy favour. True and a sahib in most high esteem. Come to my cell, Chela. How is that known to thee? The lama smiled. First by means of letters from the kindly priest, whom we met in the camp of armed men. But he is now gone to his own country, and I sent the money to his brother. Colonel Crichton, who had succeeded to the trusteeship when Father Victor went to England with the Mavericks, was hardly the chaplain's brother. But I do not well understand the sahib's letters. They must be interpreted to me. I chose a surer way. Many times when I returned from my search to this temple, which has always been a nest to me, there came one seeking enlightenment, a man from Leh. 
that has been, he said, a Hindu, but wearied of all those gods. The lama pointed to the Arhats. A fat man, said Kim, a twinkle in his eye. Very fat, but I perceived in a little his mind was wholly given up to useless things such as devils and charms and the form and fashion of our tea-drinkings in the monasteries and by what road we initiated the novices a man abounding in questions but he was a friend of thine chela he told me that thou wast on the road too much honour as a scribe, and I see thou art a physician. Yes, that I am, a scribe when I am a sahib, but it is set aside when I come as thy disciple. I have accomplished the years appointed for a sahib. As it were a novice, said the lama, nodding his head. Art thou freed from the schools? I would not have thee unripe. I am all free. In due time I take service under the government as a scribe. Not as a warrior, that is well. But first I come to wander with thee. Therefore I am here. Who begs for thee these days? He went on quickly. The ice was thin. Very often I beg myself, but as thou knowest, I am seldom here, except when I come to look again at my disciple. From one end to another of Hind have I travelled afoot and in the terrain, a great and wonderful land. But here, when I put in, is though I were in my own Baltiyal. He looked round at the little clean cell complacently. A low cushion gave him a seat, on which he had disposed himself in the cross-legged attitude of the Bodhisat, emerging from meditation. A black teakwood table, not twenty inches high, set with copper teacups, was before him. In one corner stood a tiny altar, also of heavily carved teak, bearing a copper-gilt image of the seated Buddha, and fronted by a lamp, an incense-holder, and a pair of copper flower-pots. The keeper of the images in the Wonder House acquired merit by giving me these a year since, he said, following Kim's eye. When one is far from one's own land, such things carry remembrance, and we must reverence the Lord for that he showed the way. See! He pointed to a curiously built mound of coloured rice, crowned with a fantastic metal ornament. When I was abbot in my own place, before I came to better knowledge, I made that offering daily. It is the sacrifice of the universe to the Lord. Thus do we of Bodhiyal offer all the world daily to the excellent law. And I do it even now, though I know that the excellent one is beyond all pinchings and pattings." He snuffed from his gourd. "'It is well done, holy one,' Kim murmured, 
sinking at ease on the cushions, very happy and rather tired. "'And also,' the old man chuckled, "'I write pictures of the Wheel of Life, three days to a picture. I was busied on it, or it may be I shut my eyes a little when they brought word of thee. It is good to have thee here. I will show thee my art, not for pride's sake, but because thou must learn. The Saibs have not all this world's wisdom." He drew from under the table a sheet of strangely scented yellow Chinese paper, the brushes and a slab of Indian ink. In cleanest, severest outlines he had traced the great wheel with its six spokes, whose centre is the conjoined hog, snake, and dove, ignorance, anger, and lust, and whose compartments are all the heavens and hells, and all the chances of human life. Men say that the Bodhisat himself first drew it with grains of rice upon dust to teach his disciples the cause of things. Many ages have crystallized it into a most wonderful convention, crowded with hundreds of little figures, whose every line carries a meaning. Few can translate the picture parable. There are not twenty in all the world who can draw it surely without a copy. Of those who can both draw and expound are but three. "'I have a little learned to draw,' said Kim. "'But this is a marvel beyond marvels.' "'I have written it for many years,' said the lama. "'Time was when I could write it all between one lamp lighting and the next. I will teach thee the art after due preparation, and I will show thee the meaning of the wheel.' "'We take the road, then?' The road and our search, I was but waiting for thee. It was made plain to me in a hundred dreams, notably one that came upon the night of the day that the gates of learning first shut, that without thee I should never find my river. Again and again, as thou knowst, I put this from me, fearing an illusion. Therefore I would not take thee with me that day at Lucknow, when we ate the cakes. I would not take thee till the time was right and auspicious. From the hills to the sea, from the sea to the hills have I gone, but it was vain. Then I remembered the Jataka. He told Kim the story of the elephant with the leg iron, as he had told it so often to the Jain priests. Further testimony is not needed, he ended serenely. Thou wast sent for an aid. That aid removed, my search came to naught. Therefore we will go out again together and our search is sure. Whither go we? What matters, friend of all the world? The search, I say, is sure. If need be, the river will break from the ground before us. 
I acquired merit when I sent thee to the gates of learning, and gave thee the jewel that is wisdom. Thou didst return. I saw even now a follower of Sakyamundi, the physician whose altars are many in Bodhiyal. There, it is sufficient. We are together, and all things are as they were. Friend of all the world, friend of the stars, my Chela. Then they talked of matters secular, but it was noticeable that the lama never demanded any details of life at St. Xavier's, nor showed the faintest curiosity as to the manners and customs of Sahibs. His mind moved all in the past, and he revived every step of their wonderful first journey together, rubbing his hands and chuckling, till it pleased him to curl himself up into the sudden sleep of old age. Kim watched the last dusty sunshine fade out of the court, and played with his ghost-dagger and rosary. The clamour of Benares, oldest of all earth's cities, awake before the gods, day and night, beat round the walls as the seas roar round a breakwater. Now and again a Jain priest crossed the court with some small offering to the images, and swept the path about him, lest by chance he should take the life of a living thing. A lamp twinkled, and there followed the sound of a prayer. Kim watched the stars as they rose one after another in the still, sticky dark, till he fell asleep at the foot of the altar. That night he dreamed in Hindustani, with never an English word. "'Holy One, there is the child to whom we gave the medicine,' he said, about three o'clock in the morning, when the lama, also waking from dreams, would have fared forth on pilgrimage. "'The jat will be here at the light.' "'I am well answered. In my haste I would have done a wrong.' He sat down on the cushions and returned to his rosary. "'Surely old folk are as children,' he said pathetically. "'They desire a matter. Behold, it must be done at once, or they fret and weep. Many times when I was upon the road I have been ready to stamp with my feet at the hindrance of an ox-cart in the way, or a mere cloud of dust.' It was not so when I was a man a long time ago. None the less it is wrongful. But thou art indeed old, Holy One. The thing was done. A cause was put out into the world, and old or young, sick or sound, knowing or unknowing, who can rein in the effect of that cause? Does the wheel hang still if a child spin it or a drunkard? Chela, this is a great and terrible world. I think it good, Kim yawned. What is there to eat? I have not eaten since yesterday even. I had forgotten thy need. Yonder is good potial tea and cold rice. We cannot walk far on such stuff. Kim felt all the Europeans' lust for flesh-meat, which is not accessible in a Jain temple. 
Yet, instead of going out at once with the begging-bowl, he stayed his stomach on slabs of cold rice till the full dawn. It brought the farmer, voluble, stuttering with gratitude. "'In the night the fever broke, and the sweat came,' he said. "'Feel here. His skin is fresh and new. He esteemed the salt lozenges, and took milk with greed.' He drew the cloth from the child's face, and it smiled sleepily at Kim. A little knot of Jane priests, silent but all observant, gathered by the temple door. They knew, and Kim knew that they knew, how the old lama had met his disciple. Being courteous folk, they had not obtruded themselves overnight by presence, word, or gesture. Wherefore Kim repaid them as the sun rose. "'Thank the gods of the Jains, brother.' he said, not knowing how these gods were named. The fever is indeed broken. "'Look! See!' The lama beamed in the background upon his hosts of three years. "'Was there ever such a chela? He follows our lord the healer!' Now, the Jains officially recognize all the gods of the Hindu creed, as well as the lingam and the snake. They wear the Brahmitical thread. They adhere to every claim of Hindu caste law. But because they know and love the Lama, because he was an old man, because he sought the way, because he was their guest, and because he catalogued long of nights with the head priest, as free-thinking a metaphysician has ever split one hair into seventy, they murmured assent. "'Remember,' Kim bent over the child, "'this trouble may come again.' "'Not if thou hast the proper spell,' said the father. "'But in a little while we go away.' "'True,' said the lama to all the Jains. "'We go together upon the search, whereof I have often spoken. I waited till my chela was ripe. Behold him, we go north. Never again shall I look upon this place of my rest.' Oh, people of good will! But I am not a beggar. The cultivator rose to his feet, clutching the child. Be still. Do not trouble the Holy One, a priest cried. Go, Kim whispered. Meet us again under the big railway bridge, and for the sake of all the gods of our Punjab, bring food, curry, pulse cakes, fried in fat, and sweetmeats, especially sweetmeats. Be swift. The pallor of hunger suited Kim very well as he stood, tall and slim, in his sad-coloured sweeping robes, one hand on his rosary, and the other in the attitude of benediction, faithfully copied from the lama. An English observer might have said that he looked rather like the young saint of a stained-glass window, whereas he was but a growing lad, faint with emptiness. Long and formal were the farewells, thrice ended and thrice renewed. The seeker, he who had invited the lama to that haven from far away Tibet, a silver-faced, hairless aesthetic, took no part in it, but meditated, as always, alone among the images. The others were very human, pressing small comforts upon the old man—a beetle-box, a fine new iron pen-case, a food-bag, and such-like warning him against the dangers of the world without, and prophesying a happy end to the search. 
Meanwhile, Kim, lonelier than ever, squatted on the steps, and swore to himself in the language of St. Xavier's. "'But it is my own fault,' he concluded. "'With Mahbub I ate Mahbub's bread, or Lurgan Sahib's. At St. Xavier's, three meals a day. Here I must jolly well look out for myself. Besides, I am not in good training. How I could eat a plate of beef now!' "'Is it finished, Holy One?' The lama, both hands raised, intoned a final blessing in ornate Chinese. "'I must lean on thy shoulder,' said he, as the temple gates closed. "'We grow stiff, I think.' The weight of a six-foot man is not light to steady through miles of crowded streets, and Kim, loaded down with bundles and packages for the way, was glad to reach the shadow of the railway bridge. "'Here we eat,' he said resolutely, as the cumber, blue-robed and smiling, hove in sight, a basket in one hand and the child on the other. "'Fall two holy ones!' he cried from fifty yards. They were by the shoal under the first bridge span, out of sight of hungry priests. "'Rice and good curry, cakes all warm and well scented with hing, asafoetida, curds and sugar. King of my fields, this to the small son, let us show these holy men that we jats of Jalandur can pay us service. I have heard the Jains would eat nothing that they had not cooked, but truly—' He looked away politely over the broad river. "'Where there is no eye, there is no caste.' "'And we,' said Kim, turning his back and heaping a leaf-platter for the lama, "'are beyond all castes.' They gorged themselves on the good food in silence, nor till he had licked the last of the sticky sweet stuff from his little finger did Kim note that the cambo was too girt for travel. "'If our roads lie together,' he said roughly, "'I go with thee. One does not often find a worker of miracles, and the child is still weak. But I am not altogether a reed.' He picked up his lathi, a five-foot male bamboo, ringed with bands of polished iron, and flourished it in the air. "'The jats are called quarrelsome, but that is not true. Except when we are crossed, we are like our own buffaloes. So be it, said Kim. A good stick is a good reason. The lama gazed placidly upstream, where in long smudged perspective the ceaseless columns of smoke go up from the burning ghats by the river. Now and again, despite all municipal regulations, the fragment of a half-burned body bobbed by on the full current. "'But for thee,' said the Cambo to Kim, drawing the child into his hairy breast, "'I might to-day have gone thither with this one. The priests tell us that Benares is holy, which none doubt, and desirable to die in. But I do not know their gods, and they ask for money, and when one has done one worship, a shaved head vows it is of none effect except one do another. Wash here, wash there. Pour, drink, love, and scatter flowers, but always pay the priests. No, the Punjab for me, 
and the soil of the Jalandur Doab for the best soil in it. I have said many times in the temple, I think, that if need be, the river will open at our feet. We will therefore go north, said the lama, rising. I remember a pleasant place set about with fruit trees, where one can walk in meditation, and the air is cooler there. It comes from the hills, and the snow of the hills. What is the name? said Kim. How should I know? Didst thou not know that was after the army rose out of the earth and took thee away? I abode there in meditation, in a room against the dovecot, except when she talked eternally. Oh-ho! The woman from Kulu. That is by Saharanpur, Kim laughed. How does the spirit move thy master? Does he go afoot for the sake of past sins? The Jat demanded cautiously. It is a far cry to Delhi. No, said Kim. I will beg ticket for the terrain. One does not own to the possession of money in India. Then, in the name of the gods, let us take the fire-carriage. My son is best in his mother's arms. The government has brought on us many taxes, but it gives us one good thing—the terrain that joins friends and unites the anxious. A wonderful matter is the terrain. End of chapter 11, part 1